Hey everybody, and welcome. This is Joe Kim from the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. Today we will be presenting a panel discussion that was actually held last month at the Game Makers Best Practices in Live Ops a digital conference event. And the focus of this panel presentation is going to be on how do you plan a content event schedule for Live Ops? So how do you come up with things like the content cadence, the type of events, for your live operated game, how do you actually measure whether these events are successful or not? So you want, you basically want to stay tuned and listen up. There's a lot of great advice that's coming in from actually three great speakers. First is Drew Levin, lead PM on Words with Friends at Zynga, Barack David, the chief operating officer of Merca, and Jeff Witt, who was the co-founder of Storm8 and Funzio. If you would like to be notified of future Game Makers digital conference events, uh, make sure to go to GameMakers.com and sign up. There will be a Future of User Acquisition event held in November and a Future of Free-to-Play event in December, so stay tuned. And with that, I'll take you to the commercial break, and we will come back with this fantastic panel discussion coming up. So stay tuned. Thanks. Sometimes you get lucky and your game is an instant hit without investing in growth. For everyone else, there's IronSource. IronSource is a game tech company which builds technologies that helps you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is a perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor Fun are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on to ironsource.com, that's ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. Folks. Most mobile advertisers are increasingly aware of the dangers of app install fraud. In fact, global financial exposure to app install fraud in the first half of 2020 was 1.6 billion. And even though the mobile ad industry has grown exponentially to defend itself properly against ad fraud, the potential amount of damage is still extremely high and fraudsters will always want a piece of that pie. Now, fraud methods are constantly evolving and adapting to solutions in the market. Still, staying protected and applying sophisticated anti-fraud solutions are very much a necessity for all marketers. As you all know, our good partner AppSlyer offers super robust fraud protection, making sure you're not paying for that bogus traffic. AppSlyer is also perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive that marketing success. And listen, it's not only us at here at Deconstructor of Fun raving about AppSlyer. Playrix, Tencent, Playtica, Square Enix, Huge Games, all of these companies and many more are using AppsFlyer to boost their business. So go to appsflyer.com and get yourself attribution and fraud protection you can trust. The focus of the discussion for this panel is going to be how to plan a content and event schedule for live ops. And with us today to speak on this topic, we do have Brock David, CEO from Merca. Drew Levin, a lead PM on Words with Friends at Zynga, and Jeff Witt, who is a co-founder at Funzio and Storm8 and currently operating his own games design consultancy. So in the interest of time, because we are running late, we will have links to everybody's bios. Um, it's also in the event agenda, but wanted to go ahead and dive right in. So guys, when we think about live ops, 
planning and sort of planning methodology, I wanted to first talk about, so what are the primary forms of content when you think about live ops? And then what kind of planning methodology do you guys use for each of those categories of content? And maybe we can start with you, Drew. Sure. So I'll, I'll disclaim that I've not really worked on sort of the, the match three style games where you're going to have sort of more of the, the content cadence that you're necessarily selling forward into. And I also haven't worked on the heavier IAP driven games where sales are going to be a huge part of what you do, right? Like if you, if you had a slots PM uh, in my seat, then they would tell you a lot about how important sales are, how much sort of your, your store is a living part of your game and how you need to be optimizing that. I can tell you about sort of the, the importance of different kinds of content, of content novelty, and of time horizons, right? So when you have a game where you're trying to get people to engage, right? Words with Friends is an ads-driven business primarily. You want to make sure that you have sort of a, a different layer of stuff depending on the, the window that, that you're uh, giving people. So this is, this is something that our creative director sort of leans on a lot is that you have your hourly events, right? Stuff that you can come into and experience on an hour to hour basis that makes the game feel alive. You have your daily stuff, your weekly stuff, your monthly stuff. And so you want to make sure that that's sort of well balanced. And then you plan that by looking at your calendar months out and saying, okay, do we have the right amount of content and the different, the right types of content to engage people? So part of it's going to be you know, just your, your regular content treadmill of features, right? You're going to update all of your stuff that refreshes on a weekly or monthly basis. And you also want to make sure that you have your, your limited time events that are going to drive whatever key metrics you want to be inflecting. You can do that in a deeply planned basis or on a more ad hoc basis, right? If you're a, an economy PM that says, hey, you know, we have a really high Claire wallet problem right now, you might say, oh, well, we need to run this kind of event and we can get this into market in you know, a week or two weeks or three weeks. And so we can get that out and sort of solve this problem that we have that, that we have with our business. Got it. Brock? So I, I agree totally with what uh, Drew just said. I will just add to it that uh, when we are planning our live ops and our activity, first of all, you have the end care of uh, product release. And uh, this is something that most of the time you cannot, you cannot change. So this is the first anchor that we are putting in the monthly calendar after it really cut it to live ops uh, level which is kind of between one to one and a half week let's let's call it like a, a mid time so first layer you you have the long uh, long term uh, retention and it's talking about like a collection collectible something like two months three months then we have this uh, one month planning which divided to three or four iteration and uh, after it, you have in, in daily basis, mini games, boosters, mi, mi offers and so on. And you are balancing in that way that if the live ops is a little bit more challenging this time or a little bit more difficult, you have in a day to day things that are giving you more, more, uh, more easy content and more keep, keep the users on loop. So really to cut it into like big blocks, small block and smaller blocks, which give them all, all the time, the entertainment. Yeah. I really liked how Drew said, you know, talking about live ops in terms of solving problems or improving things. And I think that when it, when it comes down to it, 
you want to use live ops to either solve uh, problems in your core game, whether it's a lack of incentives or players not doing what you want them to do, or to optimize what is going, what is working already. So to Drew's point, like if, if your players have too much hard currency or too many resources, you'll want to hit them with events that will sync some of that. If you, if you find that your players are monetizing very well on research, but you're running out of research, you, you'll want to introduce more research trees or gear or stuff like that. Um, and this is where analytics just become so important. Knowing where your players are at in terms of balances, um, content consumed, and you know the rates that they're consuming content will help you plan out, okay, I need new research. I'll probably need new research trees every you know couple of months or we're running out. Maybe we should raise the level on max research this month. The cadence for new content, again, based on how much, uh, how fast your players, particularly your spenders, are consuming it. Um, all that you'll want to look at your analytics and see what is the best uh, sort of way to sort of best frequency to release that. And then the more like uh, gameplay oriented events are really there to in my mind, to fix problems. If uh, balances are too high, you'll want to push them to gameplay that will help them burn, you know, the, those balances. Ultimately, uh, so once you set aside sort of fixing problems in your game, then you take, you know, then you look at live ops as how can you make what's working work way better. AFK Arena, I think, has gotten into this pretty good stride where they recognize that their sort of hero fusion system is super deep and it does monetize very well. And so you see them with everything they're putting out, it's essentially just refocusing on stat checks, stat checks, stat checks to make players seem like they're not powerful enough because they recognize that they're monetizing very well just on hero development. So for them, everything that they do, all the new features, that they put out, a lot of them just have stat check components, which will just reinforce players to continue purchasing cells with lots of gotchas to, you know, try and increase the max level through their hero fusion system. So when you're thinking about like what, how to sort of frame your live ops for your game, I guess to summarize, what problems do you want to fix? What live ops stuff would help fix that? Whether it's, you know, sales, new content or events. And then take look at what's working for your game right now and what uh, live ops stuff will help optimize that. And those are sort of my two-pronged approach to looking at uh, live ops. Got it. I thought we could kind of shift the discussion to the content and live ops teams. And so could you guys speak to the kinds of teams deployed against different kinds of games, like in terms of the size of teams, the functional roles, and I think that when we look in the industry, we do see different kinds of teams, different sizes of teams, like a supercell team could be very small. And then for some other games, there's literally like 40, 50 people on a live ops team. So when you guys think about team structure, roles, size, how do you guys think about that? How should someone that's working on a game plan for the kind of team that they'll need to be successful with live ops? And again, maybe starting with you, Drew. So I'm going to have the least to say just because the ops pros are, are the other two people on this panel. So I'll, I'll let them talk about sort of how big or small to keep your teams. I can, I can speak to what Words with Friends does. So we have, you know, a live content operations team. They own the, the live ops calendar of the game. They have the ability to go in and change that. And they're responsible for understanding, you know, what, what people are doing at any given point. 
monitoring that and adjusting as needed. The feature teams that are developing these sort of systems that people are engaging with, right? Words with Friends is sort of a, a very systems-driven game. There's a bunch of different game modes that you can play. And when those come around and for how long is a pillar of how we run our live operations, those teams run their features and sort of get them to a point where they can be continuously operated, where they're more or less done optimizing that feature. And so they optimize it in live ops, right? They release it and they say, okay, how can we add this? How can we, how can we improve it? At some point, you sort of have to say, okay, we're, we're mostly done investing in this. They build a playbook, they hand it off to the, the LCO team, and the LCO team runs that feature more or less in perpetuity. And so that, that moment of handoff needs to be accompanied by a requisite number of tools that allow for the, the ongoing operation of, of that feature, right? You, you can't just keep piling up work on a team that's going to own your entire live ops ecosystem without also giving them the, the ability to scale themselves, right? And so if I had to sort of lean in on, on one part of this, it's that you can't just sort of build stuff, ship it, and then walk away for, for the next thing that you build. You have to make sure that if your team isn't going to grow, which is going to introduce inefficiencies, as I'm sure Barack is going to tell you about, there's, there's an element of making it more efficient to work on it on a sort of per unit basis. And so uh, I would go with that. Brock? Yeah, so I think that the, the, the amount of uh, people that you talked about, the size of team is a little bit the, the, the further discussion, but uh, in case of what, what to do and uh, how we're doing it, so we divided for a long-term teams, that, which is like similar to the features team, that, which develop, and then we have a such of a trans transition period. In the transition period, you have the dynamics team and the operations team that really managing the day-to-day -day in, inside the games and controlling everything. But when we are launching a feature, there is like a transition period where you need to test it, to A-B test it. Sometimes you need to roll back or to change things if it's like feature thing or if it's bugs. So in the first time, it's really like, like a pinpoint. And so it goes and back until it, I think, if we are talking about heavy feature, it's something about basically after one or two iteration, which is like, totally goes to the operation in the dynamics team. And we are really data-driven and motivated when we are launching a feature. So in the dynamics team, we have a lot of uh, analytics that expertise, by the way, inside the feature. So we have like analytics that expertise in the live ops that are running day to day, the balances and so on. But also you have the, the BA team that is responsible to understand the reaction of the users. And the reaction uh, many times uh, related to how the feature was developed, what is the content and not only to the balance and things like that. So it might be related to the, to the feature team. And I think that the, the character of this, of this team might be like, a little bit 24-7 team. They need to leave the game. And that comparing to the feature team is more like long-term. Okay, we release, we are less feeling it. But the, the dynamics team, the operation live ops team need to work all the time, like 24-7 to understand, to read the, the mind of the users. And then they really, the way of working is, is completely different. And if we're talking about medium and big games, I think that these teams need to be like at least like 10 people that divided between operators, uh, monetizations managers, and uh, analytics, some, something like that. Jack? 
Yeah, when it comes to at least design and product, I find it helpful to kind of separate between feature development and live operations just because having one team to both, they tend to focus more on one than the other to the detriment of the game. But you do need communication between the two teams because otherwise design for feature development will design a feature meant to be used some way and live ops will use it completely different. I would say for designers, you know, specking out features, um, one section I like to have is how do you intend this feature to be used for live ops? Pretty much any significant gameplay feature, game feature is going to have an, a live ops component, whether it's for events or um, sort of how's it going to, you know, inflate or over time, what is the sort of content release cadence for stuff within this feature. And so at the very least, if you're a designer and you're designing a feature, have a section in there that sort of gives your vision for how you intend this feature to be used in a live ops capacity. So at the very least, you're going to have the, the live ops team could, could look at that, kind of see what your vision is. And if there's a conflict between the live ops team and, and the, the feature design team, that at the very least you could catch it early, sort of figure stuff out so that the live ops team doesn't run with a feature or with content in a way that it wasn't designed to work like that. Okay, and so maybe the next question I wanna ask, because I think there are probably a lot of folks in our audience who are actually currently live operating games, but if you guys could talk about maybe some of the biggest lessons you learned or the, the single biggest lessons that you've learned to help some of the other folks in the audience avoid the big mistakes, that'd be great to hear. So again, maybe starting with you, Drew, in terms of like some big lessons you've learned operating Words with Friends. Lessons learned. So a couple come to mind. So one is understanding what you can do and in what time frame is deeply important, right? So I talk about product management being sort of a, a very interdisciplinary discipline. And so part of that is being able to know what tools you have on what time frames, sort of being your own producer in that way. And so a good example of a fire drill that we had to go through where we, we got to relearn this lesson was actually during sort of the initial wave of COVID, right? Everything sort of shut down from, I don't know, March to May or even June. And a bunch of game companies saw a pretty substantial influx of players and a bunch of people returned. People obviously had a lot more time on their hands. And so we, we had to figure out, okay, what do we do with all of these people, right? We have all of these people coming back to the game, they have expectations about how well it's going to keep them entertained. What can we bring to them that improves their lives, sort of gives them the experience that we want to give them? And we have to be able to flight this inside two weeks, right? And so being able to know what you can do sort of at the drop of a hat, having events that, you know, hopefully aren't too art-driven, that you can turn on in a pretty short time frame and say, okay, here's our normal calendar. And here's our calendar if we just like turned it up to 11, right? We have to really run live ops as hard as possible. What does that look like? What are all the things we need to do? When do we need to start doing it? And when can we sort of have it live by? And so understanding your game and understanding your capabilities and building for those scenarios, right? Investing not just in your next event next month, putting your capabilities to live operate the game and scale it up uh, on demand are, are deeply important. And uh, any, any live ops center should be able to sort of assess that within their game 
and know whether or not they need to invest in that for the long run. All right. So first of all, I might agree with the point of understanding your uh, capabilities and really the, the scope of the team and what you can do. It's very, very important because LiveOps is very sensitive and when you're doing a mistake, it's affecting dramatically and very fast uh, on your users. So this is a first point that I completely agree. The second is that sometimes uh, less is more. And uh, when you have a hard time in your game and you feel that uh, you are running out of DAO or you have a small drop in revenue, you are starting to use uh, so-called the big guns. And when you are putting, okay, you, you are starting something and sometimes LiveOps taking time to affect. Yes, it's like a, a chain, but you're saying, okay, it's not enough. And then you're pushing something else and then you're pushing something else. And then the, the balance is becoming a little bit more problematic and the user are becoming a little bit confused because they don't know what to chase. And uh, you need also focus on your users. So I think that sometimes to understand that, okay, they relax, okay, let's put something according to the plan. Let's put exactly what we think, maybe to add something else more, but not to, to do an extraordinary thing. So really less is more and we learn it a bit in the last period. And the last point, uh, which is my third point, is that economy is uh, super important in, in LiveOps, especially when you are releasing a new LiveOps and understanding the difficulty and the segmentation of each user to not, not create an inflation of coins or, or whatever, and uh, to create the right balance between the effort of the user and the, the, the gift or the benefits that he's getting. You have like the, the point that it's need to, like you need to catch this point, which is very, very important, especially when you are releasing something new and you want to have the user, you have a, a good experience. Jeff? Yeah, so um, I think, you know, with live, live ops, it's important to always try and be optimizing on something. Even if for events that work well or for sales or new content that performs well, there's always improvements that you can make. So whether it's, you know, in an event with a leaderboard, sort of tightening the leaderboard tiers to try and create more competition at different parts of the leaderboard or using like a goal system to plug in sort of like additional incentives in parts of the event where players are maybe not engaged as much, there's always something you should be able to do. And I will note on um, Barack's point, like um, inflation definitely is something to be careful about because we've seen it ruin a lot of games, but it's also kind of, it can be an important way to keep uh, your players, especially your spenders engaged and spending. Slight inflation over time will keep your, you know, your spenders trying to always optimize their stuff, but it has to be slight enough where it won't deprecate their spend too quickly. Um, so for, especially for RPGs and strategy games, I, I do think inflation can be an important tool, just very uh, mildly used. But yeah, always look at all the tools in your bag to try and optimize what's currently working and then be inventive. Like Drew was saying, like um, sometimes like if you're hitting sort of a, a low in spend or engagement or whatever, try and, and use your existing framework to put out like an event and, and just be experimental and, and see if it works. Like, and um, sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't, but uh, it's too easy for, I, I've seen a lot of game teams become complacent in like their live ops strategy because they've seen it work in the past and they, they you know, 
they do the same things all the time and and that over time is just going to get less and less effective so just always try to be optimizing uh, however your content uh, or live ops uh, strategy is so I just have one last question. We'll open it up to the audience. So last question is around just generally speaking, when we talk about content optimization, I was hoping you guys could talk about specific tools or frameworks or ways of analyzing your initiatives to let you know if you were successful or not. And I know, you know, I think Zynga is famous for like, you know, um, kind of like having a, a beat strategy as well as uh, expected outcomes in terms of prioritizing features, but starting with you, Drew, if you could just kind of generally speak about some of that stuff for you guys, that would be fantastic. Sure. Yeah. So Zynga has, you know, like, like you said, Joe, the, the sort of bigger beat investments and also the, the sort of smaller, quicker hit investments. I think when it comes to, to life operations, our optimization framework is heavily driven by experimentation and personalization, right? One of the things that when you sort of get up to a certain scale that you get to do is give different experiences to different people, right? A lot of people, uh, especially at smaller studios, worry about the, the nature of, oh, well, if I give, you know, a fundamentally different experience, right? Different numbers to different people, you know, everyone has access to the internet. People have forums, people talk, are they going to get upset at me? Or do the benefits outweigh, uh, do the costs outweigh the benefits of, giving people fundamentally different sets of tuning. Zynga games have for years learned that the, the core purpose of entertainment products is to entertain people, right? If you're not giving people a challenge, if you're not giving them something interesting to engage with, then they're going to leave your game and find it somewhere else. And so the, your, your core responsibility as a game maker is to entertain your audience. Part of live operations and part of the, the tuning of that is to give people a good experience. The way that you can measure that is sort of many different ways, right? We, we sort of think about our games as business owners, right? We say, does it make money? Do we have a lot of people playing it? And I think that that misses one of the purposes of metrics, which is to understand sort of the, the game as it is experienced by your players, right? People like your game and so they come back. Retention is an outcome. It's not sort of the, the sole driving purpose. It's a way of describing that people are actually having a good experience. Similarly, when you look at your live ops, you say, okay, what is, what is the thing that we want to do with this, right? We want people to, I don't know, play the system work, but why do we want to make them play the system work? Why is that a, a primary good? Oh, we want people to play the game more because we think that, you know, increasing this amount of novelty for this amount of time is going to get them to retain better, or we want them to play the system because we think that they'll really enjoy it. And so you, you start from the point of saying, okay, here's what we're actually trying to do. And then you say, well, what, if, that, if we are succeeding at that, right? In a perfect world where we're definitely crushing it, what is the metric that actually tells us the story of we are, we are successful in that? So I'll give you, you know, a clean example. We have a feature called, called Solo Challenge in Roots with Friends, right? And it's on a, a weekly cadence. And you know, it's, it's a ladder you, you play against an escalating sort of difficulty set of, of bots and it resets every Monday. And so one of the things that we look at is very simple. It's just feature retention. So if you played it last week, uh, what percentage of you play it this week? And you know, we, we look at many, many other things, right? It's, it's a revenue driver for the game. It's uh, something that interacts with our core loop, right? Some people play the core loop less because of that. 
we care about that. Um, you know, people play that a lot. It, it drives ad views. And so we, we sort of track all of that. But what I want to encourage everyone to do is think about the context in which your live operations uh, sit in your game and what you're trying to do as a game maker for your players. And then really think about, okay, what if we were succeeding, where would we find it? And if we were failing, how would that manifest? And then track those metrics. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so to, to the point of uh, making a challenge, I completely agree. I know that this is like continuous debate about whether to do uh, more uh, hard challenges to, let's say, more engaged user. But I believe that, again, this is entertainment and I completely agree. If it will be too easy, it will not be fun at all because it will not challenge them. Uh, so, so this is a, a, a first point. And second, when we are developing a new feature, which will become a, a live ops, we are trying to give uh, certain KPIs about, first of all, to categorize it. If it will be a retention uh, live ops, if it will be a revenue, if it will be uh, for new users or for, uh, for more engaged users. So we are really putting a KPIs in numbers and in percentage, how each feature are going to uh, to, to increase our, our uh, initial uh, KPIs. And then we are put, when we are uh, putting it on live, we are trying to all the time to change it. And from iteration to iteration, we are learning with our segmentation, with our may, maybe a -B, many A-B testing in each group. So we are really uh, segmented it and testing group by group the, the, the challenge uh, level and also the, the balance like uh, what they need to, to spend in order to, to achieve it, and the length of it, the finishers and everything, and it's becoming all the time, uh, I think that it's becoming perfect after something like four, four even five iteration when you are re really learning and all the time, even like you can have a live ops for a few months and each time you will change something uh, small and you will see it becoming better. So it's like, all the time, it's continuous working on it. And I really say that to define, first of all, your KPIs, to categorize it, to define the KPIs, and then to adjust it all the time according to those KPIs to achieve your goals. Okay. Take us home, Jeff. Um, yeah, you know, I, I definitely agree with both, what both Drew and Barack said. Like, I will say, um, you know, one good thing about always iterating on your live ops events is it keeps players from having an expectation of what certain events are going to ask of them. Um, player expectation is one of the things that you should try and generally avoid setting because then you're kind of locked into it. So if, if you, if you run an event and, and it's the same, you know, five or six times and players suddenly learn that this event is always like that. then when you try to change it, it may disrupt the engagement of players for that event because they're used to having it be a certain way. So, Having always trying to optimize something, tweak stuff, um, I think not only does it keep it uh, fresh for players, but also uh, lets them not expect to see certain things every time they engage with the event, which uh, gives you more leeway to optimize them. Um, and I will say, I think there's a nice balance between trying to you know monetize off of events and uh, other live ops and um, you know, being too hard on the players. I think it might be important for, if, if they find that a certain sort of live op strategy is successful, but ultimately taxing on the players, sitting down and just really trying to think, is there a way that 
you could achieve similar results without having it be too much for the player. Um, I do believe that there are designs of either events or sales or other stuff that you could probably get similar results, but just it's better for the player's quality of life in the game. And I think when you, when you feel like you're burning your players out, maybe just see if there's a way to fix that without hurting your bottom line. Okay. All right. So that is basically it. Hey guys, it's Joe Kim. I'm back. I just wanted to let you know that that ended the panel discussion portion of the panel. And what follows is actually about 15 minutes of Q&A. So if you want to stay tuned and get some additional depth in terms of questions from the audience during the event, stay tuned. And it is going on right now. From Heinrich, we have a discussion we often have when operating our game is when we are doing too much and overwhelm defocused players, for example, too many events in the calendar, competitions, et cetera, what is your take on evaluating what an optimum is in regards to that? I'm happy to jump in on this one. So I think it, it comes down to measurement, right? You, you're, to, to build on what Jeff said before, you do want to optimize on something, but you also want to make sure that you're not substantially cannibalizing whatever it is that your game is trying to do, right? So if you're, if what you see is, yes, you, your new event drives a bunch of spend, but it's substantially cannibalistic of all of your sort of core game spend to the point where it's not actually driving a bunch of net new spend, then you may be over-investing in whatever that new stuff is um, because it's, it's primarily replacing rather than incrementing whatever it is that, that you're trying to do. And so uh, focusing on measuring that is, is a super important part of your live ops. Okay, next question. What are the best ways to assess the effectiveness of in-game UI and UX and make recommendations on optimizing them? Hmm. I haven't seen anything from a UI UX perspective. I don't know if you guys have seen anything like that. So our approach here is generally a lot of taxonomy around sort of what people interact with. And I mean, when I, uh, at, a, at a previous job, we had Amplitude, and one of the best things about Amplitude, uh, hopefully, no, no, one's, no one's paying me for this. This is a, a genuine love for Amplitude. Uh, they have something called Sankey charts, right? So they basically say, like, everyone who fires this event goes on to, like, do this other thing in this distribution. And the idea is, if you are, you know, clicking around and you interact with this particular game element, do you go on to do this other thing more or less, right? And so I guess from a, a purely qualita uh, quantitative, sorry, perspective, you can say, oh, people who click on our store are more likely to spend. It's like, okay, that's not very interesting. But you say, oh, people who, you know, complete this, this action are more likely to spend. Okay, that's a little bit more interesting. How do we streamline our game to get them to that magic moment a little bit faster? And does that correlation hold up even after we optimize for that user flow. Right. And I, I guess, you know, you could just measure kind of like, you know, do some of that hotspot analysis and just conversions and stuff like that on different UI elements. But yeah, I personally am not very familiar with any other methodologies there. The next question from the Q&A are, what do you think are the pillars of an effective survey feedback collection system? Uh, I guess, so from my perspective, I would say one, um, 
I wouldn't use a survey feedback collection system. I think you've got to match it to the audience in like, for example, like some of the surveys that are run off of offer walls and that ask these deep complicated questions for someone who's just trying to get 10 gems real fast is probably not the right approach. Uh, I think that um, surveys and feedback collection systems that are more action oriented, right? Which is why a lot of like the hyper casual guys try to put as much in the creative as possible. And so, and so they're really, their feedback is really around actions. Are you clicking on, you know, the ad or not? Are you tapping through on a fake app store to try and install a game or not? And so those types of kind of surveys or feedback collection systems that are about actual actions seem to be the most accurate. But um, any other thoughts on feedback and collection systems or surveys? Paul, I mean, at Riot, you guys, you guys do a lot, don't you, in terms of like... We do. We have a central insights team and, and there's a variety of proprietary tools that we use and we use Qualtrics and, and some other stuff that we integrate. Um, on, on League, which is, you know, built on ancient, ancient code from billion years ago, uh, we've had to implement a lot of proprietary stuff, but we use something called the player feedback tool that targets um, different cohorts of players after they do certain things and we can kind of hit them with surveys uh, whenever we want. It's a little janky, but it, but it works. We've been able to, to implement stuff like that. And then we have a good um, analyst team who can help parse that information to help the PMs uh, make adjustments, but it took a lot of investment to get there, but it is helpful if you have those people on staff to do that. Right. Uh, next question. Do you have any frameworks for looking at the health of your in-game economy and evaluating what can be optimized from a pricing content quantity and content type perspective? Jeff, do you have thoughts on this? I know you do a lot, a lot of work on game economy. I mean, really it comes down to like looking at, okay, what are player balances? Um, are they consuming what you're putting out? Um, how fast are they consuming it? And, you know, compare that with how frequently you're putting out new content. Um, basically, it just, I mean, new content and player consumption are, are, you know, there's a push and pull there. And, you know, if if something's not working, then you have to kind of look into the, the data and see why players aren't responding to what you're putting out. And um, in some cases, it may be that, you know, if if it's an RPG, maybe the stats on the new content aren't good enough and maybe you need to inflate a little more. Um, or if um, if that's not the case, it could be that there's not enough challenges in the game and you need to, you know, add more PV stages or make your events more difficult or something like that. Um, but all of that is something that, you know, your your analytics should be telling you as to how players are behaving. And you just... Make sure whatever you what plan you're coming up with that it's really targeted to fix the problems you're seeing in your analytics. Um, don't just do something because you see other games doing it and it seems like the right thing to do. Uh, each game has their own problems and and your 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 live ops should be balanced to address those problems. Okay. And then from Sashank Vandrangi, do you see the live ops tastes of a casual player evolving? Like are people more open to relatively mid-core systems because players are now fairly used to match three and other mechanics? Any thoughts, guys? I don't really look at casual players very much, but my, my belief is that there probably has been a little bit of evolution in terms of 
It's kind of like how a lot of the games that were considered hardcore a few years ago are, are now considered midcore. So I would assume that that's kind of happening on the casual side as well, but that's only a guess for me. Any other thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think there's a couple instances of casual players doing things that are, I mean, I would at least consider a little hardcore behavior, um, like whether it's, you know, for a farm game, logging in every 15, five minutes or 15 minutes to deal with crops or with idle games, dealing with like prestiging, which um, is definitely not a, a, a casual sort of feature. Um, so, you know, I think um, how do you, how do you sort of bridge uh, casual players to uh, a more mid-core title? Um, that that's a good question. I think you know it'll take a good design for that. But I I, de I definitely believe that casual players um, are capable of more complex gameplay if introduced to them uh, correctly. Uh, next question from Javian Hong. Javian, what's up? What are your top three games that have done live ops really well? I know Brock's gonna say scatter slots, right? <laughs> I said there are many good and successful. It's very, very complicated uh, uh, question. And I think that uh, you can see a lot of uh, similarity between many successful games in the industry. Basically, they are all uh, so-called taking inspiration between one to each other. Some of them are more innovative, some of them more going by the stream. But uh, I think that by looking on by the way, new new games that are being launched, uh, you can see in successful games that are start the ranking that you know you saw you see ranking very fast becoming a top ranking. I think you will look at them and you can uh, learn a lot. I don't have something that specific to to point at. Right. I mean, I think that I'd I'd have to say you know Fortnite. <laughs> they're they're kind of going crazy, right? But they're they're kind of unique. I think I think Eball Pool's done a good job, especially with the implementation of the battle pass. I would just say just be careful because the, the danger would be applying battle pass to a consumables-based economy. Don't take that success and try to replicate it in a different game with a different kind of economy. A lot of Playrex games have done really well from a live ops perspective as well. Um, so those are some games. Uh, Jeff, what are some of the games that may, maybe on the RPG side? Um, so, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about AFK Arena because on the one hand, they've recognized where their bread and butter is, which is hero optimization and everything they, they put out is, is, um, just about, you know, again, hitting players with their stat checks. Part of me feels like, I mean, it's working for them, but at the same time, I think they are not pushing harder on more social and, engagement-oriented um, events, which, I mean, I think they could afford to, but I think there's opportunities there to really have fun gameplay and, 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 and make, you know, a, a little more money. Um, on the flip side, you know, Legendary is an interesting case, and I would never want to be in Legendary shoes because it sounds like a, a nightmare to, to run their live ops cadence, but it works. Like, they utilize live ops very effectively to try and optimize their revenue. Um, it is a little too burdensome on players and it seems like a nightmare to um, to run. Um, but, you know, if, if you're looking at a game who's trying to really like take their, you know, 
initial success and you know uh take it further uh legendary you know at least was 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 doing really well with that you know two or three years ago i have not stayed on top of what they're doing um versus you know uh raid uh i feel like is not doing a very good job with live ops they seem to feel that more engagement is better and not they're, they're focusing more on engagement than trying to actually boost their monetization, which I think long-term is going to be problematic if you're trying to uh, sort of grow your revenues. And I think they've set themselves up so they could probably implement some unique events that I think could monetize pretty well, but they are not for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah. There's a comment from the audience that townships events are pretty cool, by the way, from Sashank Vandrangi. You know, there's also a little game called uh, League of Legends that I think has been doing a pretty good job in live ops. Paul, from a Riot perspective, are there specific games that you guys look at, like those guys are doing things right, or? In general, I'd say there, there are some games that we definitely kind of admire. I think we've learned a lot from just being fans of Blizzard games and how they've done the live ops and services, especially WoW. You know, I think we learned a lot from how they do things. Um, but I, I'd say... I'd say, to be honest, um, we've taken some good learnings from some games in Korea, you know, a lot of the Nexon games in particular, of what felt right to offer players, uh, what type of events to offer players. And then in time, just evolving league as we got more refined with our hires and with our methodologies internal to know like, hey, what what moves the needle in, in certain ways or not. Like, you know, it took us a while to get to the point of really understanding, you know, the different competitive cohorts and versus a normal player cohort versus a casual player cohort. And as we kind of built those capabilities, we we're able to tune accordingly. But um but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we have a, another audience comment. Pokemon Go was terrible at first, but has really kept the dedicated players engaged. I have to say, like, I don't play Pokemon Go, but I I was surprised that, you know, through COVID, which for a location-based game, how the games actually continue. I mean, I, I don't know what they've done, but they've done something, right? So that is pretty impressive. And maybe what we could do is just take one last question and we'll wrap it up with this. If you had one book to recommend that influenced your career work the most, what would it be? Uh, Jeff, what do you think? Um, I really liked um, Daniel Kahneman's uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, Behavioral Economics. Um, it really is what sort of defines free to play in my opinion. And so um, that it kind of taught me to not Try to try to sort of get away from conventional thinking sometimes as sometimes it's just plain wrong. So would definitely recommend that. Brock. So there are many, many books, uh, but one of the great books that I read is uh, um, Why First Leadership, like st start with why. And this is a, a very, a very good book. Uh, I think that it's, it's, it's how you are how you are managing and what you're doing in order to to lead uh, your people and to lead your your business to success so i think this is a great book all right and paul i know you put something in the comments but uh could you talk yeah, about yeah i'll talk about it so i'd say if i, I had a stack rank it's it's uh, playing to win um what strategy really means and it's a book um written by some people at um procter and gamble and it goes through defining product strategy is outcomes. What are the outcomes you're trying to do? And what do you, and what it goes into is what is 
what you're not doing is just as important as what you are doing, and that can help you crisp, work, crisp up where you put your priority and put your resources. And that was really seminal for me in my development. I've got two answers myself. So the book that has impacted me the most is this book called Principles by Ray Dalio. And the book that's impacting me the most right now, I'm actually listening to it on audiobook, but it's, it's called You Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, who's a, a former Navy SEAL. And for a guy who has not had like a really, who hasn't had like a lot of business experience or like even like deep education. I mean, the, the, the guy's like a genius. So anyway, I would recommend that as well. But all right, guys, I think that's it. Thank you uh, speakers for staying late and answering questions. Um, I definitely learned a lot and I wanna thank you guys so much for your time. Thank you everyone for joining the conference and definitely want to do more. 